Okay, we have a lot to do tonight, but I need to ask a couple of questions. Who remembers um, some of the ways to look at studying Revelation? Who remembers back when we said there are there are four approaches to Revelation? We're all looking at our notes. Anybody remember those? Preterist. Yeah. Preterist. Preterist. Historic. Futurist. Futurist. All right. So got them all. Preterist, which is everything is in the first century. Uh, historicists who think that it's uh, the church unfolding over time. The uh, futurists think that everything in Revelation is still ahead of us. Or, or was uh, ahead of John. And then the idealists who say that the best way to look at Revelation is symbolically that, that we, we shouldn't hold too tightly to a seven-year this or a thousand-year this or uh, that, that we think that all of the events are real, are true, are actual, all the churches are literal, but that they are representative of things that were, that are, that are to come. All right. What are the big um, vocabulary words that people like to throw around when we're talking about Revelation? Premillennial. Postmillennial. Amillennial. And what does that mean? You gave us a page with it, but it seemed like every sentence contradicted the sentence. You were actually one night. The people, there are, there are, and, and we're about to get into the part of Revelation where these symbols and, you know, we're, we're, we've kind of had it easy for the first three chapters because we've been dealing with real churches with real problems. Now in chapter four, the setting moves from earth to heaven. And now we're beginning to deal with the signs and the symbols. And so just a reminder, the tribulation is thought to be probably a seven-year or it's called a seven-year period of intense persecution. Those who are pre-tribulation believe that the church or followers of Christ will be caught up to heaven, raptured, prior to the time of tribulation, okay? Prior to the millennium. Now, the millennial reign is, that's what we're talking about with pre, post, ah, millennial. That's, is Christ coming before, during, or after? Or is the millennial reign a metaphor? That's the amillennialists. So tribulation is an intense period of persecution that could be seven years. It could be three and a half years and then a break and then three and a half more years. But, but the millennium is not the same thing as the tribulation. The tribulation is a subset or... or or the, the, the tribulation is the intense persecution that either the church will experience or those who have not claimed Christ as Savior will experience. So if you're pre-trib, then the church is raptured prior to the tribulation. 
If you're post-trib, then the church goes through the tribulation. And and really good people talk about really good things. And so when I talk about the tribulation, I'm talking about a shorter, relatively shorter period of time. Uh, some believe the, the, the 70 weeks of Daniel or the 70 years of Daniel. Uh, some believe in seven years. Some believe in three and a half years. But the tribulation is an intense but finite period of persecution to those who would be drawn to Christ. The reason for the persecution is to try to make people suffer and become discouraged. The rapture is a word that's never used in scripture, but it is coming from the first Thessalonians four passage that talks about uh, the, the believers will be caught up with him in the air and we will all be with the Lord. And so that the, the word rapture has to do with being caught up. And that uh, is really uh, an idea that's only about 150 years old. Mm-hmm. All right. What was say post-tribulation again? What was that? that Jesus w- will return after the tribulation. But you use seven years, and you've taught us that seven is a perfect number. So it could be that we don't know that the perfect amount of time could be a week that we're being tried. What we do know is that there is going to be a period of suffering. And we in the church may be part of it, or we may not be part of it. Now, that's the, the reason I bring that up. And I'll I'll sort of bury my lead here before I take a side trip. Debut of our new segment, Candidates Point. We said Yeah. Uh, He's talking. Okay. So here's a question for you. How many times is the word church Mm -hmm. used in Revelation after chapter three? Only one at the very end when there's a summary. This was to the churches. So in Revelation 4, all the way through Revelation 22, no mention of the church. And that has led many people to believe, well, the scene shifts from earth to heaven. So that's. The, the point of the rapture, right? That's when the church is caught up to heaven. There's no need to mention what's going on with the church on earth because the church isn't on earth. And so the uh, the, the people who are, are pre-tribulation especially, and even more especially those who are dispensationalists, and we spent a little bit of time talking about that, they would believe that the church is raptured kind of between chapter three and chapter four. And that's an intriguing thought. Uh, I, I don't um, I don't I don't have evidence either way, right? I, I don't uh, I, I don't um, I don't dislike the thought at all that that there is a there is a time when the church is caught up and so the the, the focus of John in Revelation moves from the churches on earth, these seven churches, 
and into heaven and more specifically the throne room. But before they get there, I've got an intriguing little side trip to think about. There were two very specific um, accusations uh, against the churches, particularly the church at uh, Thyatira, I believe, and the church at Laodicea. There were two things that were uh, that they were accused of of doing that were uh, uh, their enticement by some evil people. Do you remember what those are? Food, sacrifice to idols, sexual immorality. So, so in those two churches, and 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 a little bit of a running theme throughout uh, the the seven churches, there's this undercurrent of uh, you have um, have abandoned a biblical morality. Okay, and we we made the point uh, Sunday that 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 would not be an unfair comment. Uh, about our culture today, and and even in some of our churches, that there is a uh, there is a departure from a biblical morality, particularly in the area of sexuality. So now I'm going to stretch you a little bit. Um, you haven't already. <laughs> back in Acts chapter thirteen and fourteen, there was a meeting in Jerusalem called the Jerusalem Council. Peter was there. uh, James was there. The scripture tells us that the apostles were there. And uh, if you want to turn with me, we'll spend a minute there. Turn back to Acts. Hey, Sue Haynes, welcome aboard. Uh, Turn back to Acts chapter 13. Um. Uh, more, let's go to 14. It's uh, We'll get there quicker. Um, so, uh, uh, let's go on to 15. It'll be easier. <laughs> I'll, I'll skip the run-up. Um, the, the, the churches out in the, not too far from the area that we're talking about, were being told that in order to be a Christian, you first had to become a Jew. You had to be circumcised. You had to uh, uh, eat kosher food. You had to follow the Jewish dietary customs. In order to be a Christian, you have to be a Jew. And so there was a meeting that was assembled in Jerusalem. Acts 15, some men came down from Judea and we're teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small discussion and debate with them, and where had Paul and Barnabas been planting churches? Asia Minor. All right. So so we're, we're in the area where they were dealing with this, uh, this ongoing question of uh, basically legalism. So if you look all the way 
to the very end of the meeting. Um, and um, then starts in 19. 19 and 20. 19 and 20. Um, Peter is talking. Uh, and then James, and James says it's 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 not okay for us to put uh, extra uh, barriers. And he says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled and from blood. So for uh, admonitions. The last two have to do with Jewish dietary uh, kosher. They weren't allowed to uh, uh, eat something that had been strangled. So I guess they don't get to wring the neck of a chicken before they eat it. I guess they have to cut its throat, and and then they have to drain the blood. So the they 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 were those were dietary customs. The other two abstain from meat sacrificed to idols, avoid sexual immorality. If the apostles were at the Jerusalem council, then John was there. And if John wrote the revelation, all of a sudden he's getting a vision from Jesus through the spirit. And the spirit is saying, these are big problems still. Now, way back in the, the uh, Acts 15 probably took place. I don't know what, 38, 40. I like that you're looking at me like I know. You're a doctor. Uh, but it was it was fairly close to the birth of the church. And that was, of course, Acts 2 and Pentecost. And so early on in the church, the 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 the, the instructions were given to pass to the churches that are out in the outlying areas. There are two things at issue here. One is that you're you're spoiling your witness in front of the Jews. So this is not a big deal to observe some Jewish dietary customs. It's like when we send missionaries to uh, is Islamic countries, they wear a head covering. It, it's not a it, it, it's not impacting the gospel. It's not sacrificing or compromising anything. And so they said, don't let anything stand in the way of the Gentiles coming to the gospel, but don't stand anything in the way of the Jews accepting their testimony. But then there were two other things, sexual immorality, meat sacrifice to idols. So idol worship. And those things seem to be still a problem 60 years later. <laughs> so it makes me think when James gave those instructions in Acts chapter 15, he was saying two things. One, keep your witness pure in front of the Jews. And two, folks, we've got to be different. We can't be like the culture. We, this is going to eat us up. And 60 years later, John is hearing from Jesus, this is still a problem. And 2,000 years later, guess what? Still a problem. And so if we were to, to sort of make a full circle 
of the Apostle John. He's at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. He's writing the Revelation. And we zero in on the, the just the scathing accusations that Jesus has for those churches. One, idol worship. You're being tempted to worship something besides God. Something besides a biblical, uh, pure, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, sustainer, creator, redeemer. You're, 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 you're veering your, uh, your, your focus to materialism or, or this God or sexual immorality or uh, customs that you want to have, be okay, but in your heart of hearts, you know they're not okay. Alan, this morning I was watching the news and they were talking about how the Pope is now considering, you know what I'm saying, gonna say? Yeah. Considering blessing um, same sex marriage. Yeah, he's, he's saying they're not biblical, but what do you do? Right. And, and you know, the, the question for the Pope will be will they be allowed to take communion? Mm -hmm. Well, he's relaxed divorce, he's relaxed abortion. Um, you know, it's, and, but again, what did John, what did James say to the churches? Preserve your witness, keep your eyes on the prize. You got to be different. You got, you can't just cave to the culture. This is hard. This is incredibly hard because we want to have compassion over our neighbors who are gay, over the marriages that have failed over the mm -hmm. the pastor's children who hurt themselves with drug addiction. We want to have compassion over those who are broken. But what John is saying is they're broken. Okay, we, we've got to say they are broken. And, and it's not up to us to convict. We can't convict with a bullhorn. But it is up to us to stay the course with biblical morality. Acts 15, avoid sexual morality. Revelation chapter 3, these things I have against you. You allow people to speak to you in such a way that you excuse biblical morality, particularly in the area of sexuality, and you pretend like everything's okay. It goes all the way back, right? The Old Testament was the same. As far back in the Old Testament. Now, morality is a little more confused in the Old Testament because they're still trying to, of course, it's before the law and they're still trying to figure out how they're going to live in the culture they're in. But, but through those years, God established what the commandments would be. He uh, uh, reiterated and reinforced those through the, the Sermon on the Mount and others. And so there's not really a, a, a question of what the scripture says. It's up to us to, to rightly interpret. And then also to, somebody said the Sermon on the Mount of all the teachings of Jesus is the most discussed the least understood and certainly the least applied. <laughs> and so we, 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 we always try to find the loopholes and what, what John is telling us is the same thing they told us in the council. Quit looking for the loopholes. All right. So let's go on into, uh,
Acts, I mean, uh, Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. Uh, what's the one word that uh, pretty much talks about what's going to happen here? Starts with a W. Worship. If you are ready for some big words, you can't handle chapter 4 in Revelation without handling chapter 5 at the same time. Chapter 4, it is what's called a theophany. Or a a, a um, uh, a revelation about God. Theo, theology is God. Theolo so a theophany, a, a, a declaration or a or a, a manifestation. A manifestation of God. God shows up. Abraham and the angel. Right, right. So Abraham. Uh, so that is a theophany, a manifestation and appearance of God. Chapter 5 is a Christophany. Guess what that means? Manifestation, manifestation of, Christ. of Christ. So chapter 4, God is on the throne. That's, that's who we're going to see. We're, we're, we're not going to see him, but uh, that, that's who's on the throne. When we when we crack open the, the, the scripture, we have a theophany in chapter 4. God as creator. And in chapter 5, we have a Christophany, God as Redeemer. And so we we can't stop in the middle of the movie without the, the, the other, the, the, the final act. We, we have a transition here between chapter 3 and chapter 4. What's the key or what's the clue? That there's a transition there. After these things. All right. Is that right? Nancy, while you're at it, look back at Revelation 1 19. 19. Read it all. Write therefore the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall take place after these things. Okay. Oh. Oh, there's our after these things. So it's that that he's setting up. He, he actually chapter one verse nineteen is an outline of the entire book of Revelation. <laughs> if if somebody says what's Revelation about, you can just say Revelation one nineteen. That's why I haven't started. It's, it's a it's a it's, it's an outline of the entire letter. And so in one nineteen he says, "I'm going to tell you about some things that are." And what has he told us? About the churches. About the churches. These are. This is going on now. This this has got to stop. So now he's telling us about things that are to come. And so in essence, John is moving from the things that are to the things that will be after these things. So after this. So it it certainly means after he's writing these things. If not after a while. And so immediately he's caught up. It says after this I looked and behold 
a door standing open in heaven. What do you think that symbolizes? A door. Yeah, it's a door. It's just a door. Yeah, but it's open. It's not closed. Huh? Is that the rapture? Uh, the people, the people who grab onto this, say that so say that the church has been uh, caught up. If you look back at First uh, Thessalonians chapter uh, four, I'm sorry, five. Um, I believe chapter five talks about um, we will meet him in the air. And that's that's the word rapture. Oh, there is chapter four. Um, uh, chapter four, verse 15. For this we declare to you, uh, word of the Lord, that we are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who fall asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive... Or left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We will always be with the Lord, and so that's that's considered sort of the clue, Jim, uh, for the rapture. So the door being open at the rapture is that what you're correct? Correct. The door, uh, the open door is it, it's 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 what it is. It's a it's that the the passageway to heaven has been opened up to John. Isn't that, it, um, isn't that like four and five? Isn't that giving glimpses of a throne? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But I tend, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. John has been invited into heaven. Now, we don't, we don't know if he's bodily in heaven. Just like in 2 Corinthians, when, when Paul had uh, uh, the statement that he was caught up in the third heaven. And even Paul said, I don't know if I was actually there. I don't know if I was in a trance. I don't know if it was a vision. I just don't know. It was very real to me. And that's pretty much what John is saying. I don't know. Let's not go there. All I can tell you is that I got a very, very concrete, very tangible view of something. And so I, I went through that open door. And the first voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet. You remember when John Hume preached and he talked about the call to post at the Kentucky Derby? Yeah. Now, whenever somebody plays that, everybody stops. They know exactly what's about to happen. The sound of the trumpet cues everybody to pay attention. Well, that's the, that's the idea here, is that this is a call to post. That, that John heard the trumpet, it was no doubt in his mind. Maybe it was related back to the Thessalonian passage about the, 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 the we'll hear the trumpet call and those who are alive will be caught up to meet him in the air. We, we don't know for sure. All we know is that there was a trumpet that was sounded, that he heard it, and then he heard a voice saying, come up here and I will show you what most must take place when, Nancy. After, these, After things. these things, at once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven. Mm. It's kind of fascinating, isn't it? Mm -hmm. John is called, yeah, Dick. So 
Even though he's used the word door three verses ahead, right? there's no reflection to that in any way, shape, or form. There kind of is. Because I stand at the door. Of right. He's, he's the he, rapture. In that, he's speaking very clearly to the church at Laodicea. Okay. Where he's 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 just fussed at him. I mean, he's he's drug him through. And and as a word of encouragement, he says, But I stand at the door and knock. I I, I continue to call you to repentance. I continue to call you to uh uh to, to come to me. And so the, the door here is more of a metaphor of a passageway to heaven than a, a okay. point of repentance based on turning back to Jesus. And great point, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and him with me. So there's a, there's a, a, a there is a beautiful picture of grace where he is just, I mean, they're, if God was my boss and I was the employee, I wouldn't want to stand for what Laodicea stood. You know, he just tore him up. And yet he says there is grace. There is unending grace. So heaven, John is caught up into heaven. Now, quick round the room and online. What are the things we think we're going to see in heaven? Jesus. Jesus. Family. All right. Family. A lot of people think they're going to see their dogs and cats. Dogs and cats. Whatever. <laughs> like Streets paved with gold. Streets paved with gold. Pearly gates. Pearly gates. Peter's standing there with a pen and a book. Cherubim <laughs> well, uh, and seraphim. Okay. Seraphim. Cherubim. What else? A throne. God said, no, Jesus uh, angels, isn't it fascinating? Four living that, creatures. Say it again, Nelson. Four living creatures, like in the All, right. all correct. Oh, but all creatures. John saw was the throne. Huh. You, you, you see that? Streets of gold, mansions on the hill. Peter, Paul, Timothy, my family, Fido, I don't know. Streets of gold, mansions on the hill. But all he could see was the throne. All he could see was the glory of God. All he could, all he could even think about was the glory of God. And, and so when you when you peek into uh that that first part. Uh, he says, and I saw a throne with one seated on the throne. Now, in just a minute, we're going to meet the lamb, the lion who was the lamb. And so we're we're pretty convinced. Robert and I've had this discussion. Robert and I are team teaching this Sunday. Um, actually made him shoot a video because I don't trust his gimpy leg. <laughs> I don't trust him. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, Robert did a, an interview uh, with Gary a little earlier in the week, and uh, we're gonna, know it. Uh, in spite of me. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna let that be part of the sermon so that you get a worship leader's view of worship uh, before the throne. But um, comment on that: that all he wants to see is God on the throne. 
Yeah, that's 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 so so all of a sudden all the stuff about the churches, all the stuff about idols and immorality and and the the stuff that's going on on earth, he has been caught up to heaven and all he can see is God. And then he does his best to explain what he's seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not. It, correct me here. There, 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 there's symbolism, but there's not a tremendous amount of significance with the the jewels that are described. They, they, they can be said to be representative of some things, but, but basically, John is just using whatever he can do to describe the glory of God. Uh, you know, I've seen the crown jewels in the Tower of London, I, I, and, and I'm pretty impressed. But what John is trying to say is, all I can tell you is that the light that would come through these these jewels, these precious jewels, it's it's light, it's color, it's it's precious, it's priceless, it's it's amazing. Comment? Yeah, no, that's exactly it. He's just trying to describe it in whatever words he can put into human terms uh, that 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 can capture something of what he's seen, but it's beyond explanation really yeah and and i don't there's symbolism here but this is not the real cryptic symbolism of revelation this question would that be kind of like the symbolism um when god's instructing um the making of the robes for Aaron and exodus yeah these how, how all the color and the well, jewels. these are actually the same jewels. Uh, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, these are the same jewels that were in the ephod or the the breastplate uh, that was worn by the priest, and and maybe maybe John was pulling from the Old Testament to say, all I can tell you is that that that, that back in the day we had a priest who 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 one day a year got to go in and 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 stand before God and. We were afraid that God wouldn't accept his sacrifice, but but the, 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 all I can tell you is that it was brilliant. It was it was amazing. So then he says there's a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Uh, a lot of people have uh, associated that with God's promise, his promise to Noah. I set my bow in the clouds, and and, and so that. The, the covenant with Noah was represented with a rainbow. And uh, it's interesting. Has anybody ever seen a rainbow from an airplane? Uh, What's neat about it? The perspective is it's not up, it's down. It's round. Well, it can't be. <laughs> we, we only see the horizon. Mm-hmm. But if you're, if you're above the horizon, a rainbow is round. And, and this says a rainbow is round. Uh, around the throne and then it says around the throne were 24 thrones that number is interesting because it keeps us from nailing anything down <laughs> it, it, it doesn't let us say oh that's the apostles it doesn't let us say oh that's the, it, that's the seven deacons that were no nope. 24 it, 24 and some of your study Bibles have a note. Chip, skip. Ezekiel, back in the Old Testament, says, it says, this is Ezekiel 26, above the ball and over their heads 
was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli, and high above the throne was a figure like that of a man. Same symbolism. Same symbolism. Mm -hmm. My footnote says 12 tribes, 12 apostles. Yeah, mm. 24. Over and over in Revelation, you're going to have lots of speculation. If you're reading the King James, anybody have the King James? What's the number that it gives you there? It says uh, 4 and 20 seats. 4 and 20. And there's some interesting significance to that 4. Because um, we have the 4 is really the number of perfection on the earth. We have four corners of the earth, the four winds. It, it's representative of completion on earth. And in heaven, that number is three. The Trinity is the number of completion. Put those together and you get seven, which is what we see over and over and over again, completion. But, but the way that it reads, that reads the way the Hebrew does. Four and 20, or the Greek is written in that way. Four and twenty, and so even as you're reading that, the symbolism of that four is sort of subtly in there, um, kind of throughout. And there is this uh, completion that sort of underlies that. Um, and so I think even taking those two layers of the Old Testament, New Testament, twelve tribes, twelve apostles, I think you could put those together in that way too. But there's a sense of wholeness, completion, the Creator who's on the throne, he is, that everything is full. And that's what he's trying to tell us, is that, and, and some have even said that the, uh, that they've extrapolated that the arrangement of the chairs was in a circle. There's nobody closer to the throne than anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, but what he's trying to say is that all of humanity is represented. All of humanity is there. That the perfection of God's creation, and that's going to make more sense in just a second. Um, white garments, golden crowns, those would both represent victory. Uh, from the throne come lightning and thunder, of course. Um, and before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are seven spirits of God, which is telling us that is the Holy Spirit. Seven is completion, is perfection. So it's the Holy Spirit. Um, before the throne, it was like a sea of glass. John is just still trying to come up with descriptors. Around the throne, and here we get to some interesting symbolism. I'll let Robert take that if he wants to. On each side of the throne are four living creatures. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. Second living creature like an ox. Third living creature with the face of a man. The fourth like an eagle in flight. A lot of this, and people make a lot of all of these things. For one, the um, the full of eyes in front and behind. We we have a lot that that word there for that. We see the um, if you go very the very first uh, verse after this, I looked and behold. Same word there. Looked behold just different parts of the the word and, and same thing with these eyes we there's a lot of, of a lot to be made of just that uh, perceiving with the eyes and just all that taking it all in but I don't you know again I wouldn't read too much into that even the the eagle um, that could be a vulture there's there's different translations of that as well so I don't think I would get too much into what the there there is a laundry are. list right. of things that people try to associate with one of the most yeah. popular is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, that go ahead, Nelson. Yeah, well, Stringfellow, who <clears throat> you know, who was my teacher, <clears throat> basically. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, had you know, the, the the Gospels. Luke was right. the, the man. Uh, the Jews, Matthew. You know the right. Uh, you know, in that, I just, I've always found that fascinating, you know. Yeah, you know, everybody that's trying to explain it, they always come back to the same thing, that it represents the very best of humanity. Yes. Remember, we're talking about God as creator. And so it's saying he didn't, because man is sinful, that doesn't mean he messed up. That, that that this is the very best of of all. So if it's the gospels, if it's the four winds, if it's the it's four the corners, it's still completion. It's completion. Yeah. Each one of these creatures had eyes on all sides of their head, and the face is what John tries to describe here. And again, we're we're not talking about a symbolic creature that's involved in judgment. We're talking about a symbolic creature that is involved in worship. Yeah. So we're going to, at the end of the chapter, I'll go ahead and tell you where it's going. All the elders, all the creatures, John, all the spirits, the torches, everything in here at the end of chapter five, everything's worship of God. Everything has a hundred percent of their attention focused on the worship of the one who's on the throne. All right. Yeah. So real quick, if I can jump in, I'm reading a commentator here that's I, I, I like this. I don't know if it's 100% true, uh, but the interpretation here is that while the faces of a lion, ox, man, or flying eagle suggest qualities that belong to God, such as royal power, strength, spirituality, and swiftness of action, each of the creatures mentioned is the chief of its species, and together they embody the reflection of God's nature as the fullness of life and power. Yeah. Oh, all all of the roads lead to the same place. It is it is God's crowning fullness. creation, His fullness that 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 came to a point in man. The the that 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 the man was created in His image. Some some see these as a progression of of creative uh, intent leading up to His. His crowning creation, that of the one created in his very image, man. So all of them sing. Robert, this is your cue. Yeah. That's, that's all I want to do is sing. I mean, that's the thing is we're looking at all of Where's this. The people, want to, people want to make a lot about the symbolism of the four creatures and all these things. But ultimately, it's what they are doing and what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it says that day and night, they never cease saying that. They are putting all of the attention on the one seated on the throne, which is how he's described throughout all of this. We, we never get the term father, by the way. God's not referred to as father in this. He is the one seated on the throne. He is the highest being. He is the creator. We understand that very clearly. And so it's important that we understand him in that way. And so whenever they give glory and honor and thanks, then at that point, the 24 elders then fall down in front of their thrones to his throne and worship him and they cast their crowns. So the uh, all of that symbolism that is, hey, they represent these things that are the, the, the pinnacle of earth and everything that's complete on earth. 
They lay all of that down, again, subservient to the one, worthy are you, Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. I think it's really important that we see what they're saying points to him as creator. And all the things we've just been talking about here, remember we're talking the four corners of the earth and the four creatures and all of this wholeness of the creation points to the creator. And I think it's important that we understand that character of God in that place here on the throne in heaven. And and so what we're getting here, I love just going back to the very beginning. We've we've gone through a door. Remember that? The first thing he says is, behold, I saw a door standing before me. And he enters into this place. And, And I think there is a progression here for all of us as created beings, as part of that creation, to understand the the place I think that this brings us to as part of that creation, that what God is doing through John is helping us to understand where he's calling us through a door, through help. We need to get into a place where we can glimpse this and understand this glory right and as we apply i mean we can take a long time applying this to where we are today and the next chapter really is where i think a lot of application comes in but i think it's so important that we understand what he's calling us to do i think in the same way john was transported as coming through this seeing this we as created beings are called to that experience to understand and know one we are created by our creator but two, he is holy, holy, holy. We are not. There is nothing about us, our created world, all the things, the highest levels that we can get to. I mean, I think this says a lot to us today because I think our culture is saying, look what we've done. Look how far we've come. You know, we've come so far now. The things we've created are getting bigger than us, right? knowing more than us and all of these things. Don't forget, he is the holy one on the throne. Let's never, never make ourselves too big. We also, every now and then, we have to to remind ourselves that John is writing this to the churches to encourage them. They're 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 starting to get weary because they. When's he coming back? He said he's coming back. When's he coming back? And and they are beginning to experience persecution. And in the in in the the discussion that he's going to have about the tribulation, he's saying it's going to get worse. But what? We have God Almighty. The any Anytime something is said three times in, in, in Hebrew, it's, a, it's an emphasis beyond an emphasis. You remember when, when they would say, verily, verily, I say to you, that's saying it twice. Here he says it three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And so he he reminds us that he was, he is, he is to come. After these things, he's still on the throne. All right. Then they sing some more um, and we get to chapter five. You might have this note. The Septuagint has the threefold, threefold. It has nine times holy, holy, holy. So it does holy, holy, holy three times. Uh, and that's, those came later. Uh, but it's the Septuagint how- is the Greek translation 
of the New Testament. Well, it's actually the Greek the translation of the whole Latin. Latin. Yeah. yeah. So when you hear the word Septuagint, that's the Greek translation of the scripture. It's in the verses, though. I mean, in the, in the song, in the hymn. Said nine times we sing, Holy, Holy. Oh, when we come back around, right? Is it, is it what's that? What you're saying? Well, it actually says, Holy, 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 the, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God. Yeah, Almighty. The, the original just, language had they, three threes, in the hymn, we, which so is like no, a, this is no, that was no, it was one of it was sort of a scribal. They yeah. they did that as a I think a more of a scribal note, but I think also it just accentuates the fact that. Uh, the, the symbolism of that, the completion of it, and just how important that is. So, All right, can't leave this behind. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> we move from the theophany to the Christophany. Mm -hmm. And so in chapter five, then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So God is on the throne. He, John never says he can make out his, his uh, features. He never describes anything distinctive about him. He just, he describes him in terms of brilliance and worship and holiness. But he's able to say in his right hand, there's a scroll. And the scroll is sealed with seven seals. And the angel says, who is worthy to open the scroll and break the seals? And so the angel gives sort of a rhetorical question. And then John begins to weep. He is so distraught. Now, let me just speculate a little bit. I realize I'm out of time. Like any good preacher, I really don't care. <laughs> so his, in Roman times, a scroll was often, um, a will. Oftentimes a scroll was, was someone's uh, will and testament, so to speak. So if this scroll is the will of God, if it's his, if it's his intent that this is what is supposed to unfold over time, this is my plan for humanity. Some have said it's a list of names. Some have said it's uh, it's the revelation itself. But I'm going to speculate a little bit. What if it's the the very essence of what God intends to unfold over time? What we know now, two thousand years later, what would keep God's will from unfolding over time? If Christ had not died on the cross. So the, the thing that would block God's will, the thing that would seal the scroll would be something to prevent Jesus from willingly going to the cross to take on him the sins of the world. So the scroll is in the right hand. It's written front and back, complete. You know, there's no more room when... They laugh at me because I recycle paper around here and you might have a, a really good sermon on the back of a budget, <laughs> but uh, it, it, there's no more room. It can't be run through any more times. And no one on earth, verse three, 
was able to open the scroll or look in, I begin to weep because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. God's purposes are going to be thwarted. And one of the elders said, it's all right. Guess what? The lion of the tribe of Judah. So John jerks his head around, expecting to see Aslan from Narnia. <laughs> that don't seem right. And all of a sudden, he does not see a lion, but what? A lamb. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. You about ready to sing a little bit of Handel's Messiah? <laughs> With seven horns, seven eyes. What does a horn represent? Power. The omnipotence of God. What does an eye represent? Oh, no. Knowledge. Omniscience. So I saw the lamb, omnipotent, omniscient which are the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. And he took the scroll from the right hand of the one who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down. God's plan is going to unfold. God, we, there is grace. There is, there is forgiveness. There is, uh, there is, is redemption that is available because he is worthy to open the scroll. The 24 elders fell down, each holding a harp. Don't know where they got their harps. I guess they had them with them. Golden bowls full of incense. What happens to the smoke of incense? It dissipates eventually. In what direction? Up, up, up to the Lord. So incense is prayer. The, the, the prayers are are going up. So the seven spirits, he, he took the scroll, uh, the harp, the bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So now they sing a song. Worthy are you to, to take the scroll, open the seals. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Old preacher would say, if this don't light your fire, your wood's wet. <laughs> every tribe and language, every people and nation, you made them a kingdom, preach to our God, they shall reign. Then the throne looked around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. Now thousands and thousands are joining in. Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing. And then verse 13, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the sea and all that is in them saying to him is on the throne and sits on the lamb, uh, sits on the throne as to the lamb be blessing and honor, glory and power and might forever and ever. What comes to your mind right away when I read and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne. And in hell they're also praising God. All right. You mm -hmm. Hadn't somebody said that somewhere? Yeah. You, you mentioned it on Sunday. Maybe Philippians 2. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Paul and his, and, and you've heard me say this before, I, I believe that what Paul was quoting was a hymn that they sang often in the New Testament church. And he he just got caught up like Robert does when he preaches, he sings. And, and that's what Paul was doing. But he had a, a preview of this, that, that everyone is going to praise God. Sheila, to your point, we're all going to praise him wherever we go, whether we're willing or not. You know, some of us are going to praise him out of the, the blessings in our heart. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worship a theophany in four, a Christophany in five. But both of those two together, it's like Robert's phone. It's a it's a flip phone. You you open it up and you get the whole picture, but not without both halves. I don't have it on me. So where does that leave us? Robert comments. Yes, I, I would just draw if you're looking at it as I am on this page here, if you open a Bible and take a look at the parallel between the holy, holy, holies and the worthy is the lamb and all of that just in our time, and this is actually something you'll hear us talk about a little bit on Sunday, but but uh, you know, uh, C.S. Lewis dealt with this. We were talking about it this week. You know, Jesus, even at that in his time, certainly many people. Oh, he's a great prophet. He's a good prophet. And as C.S. Lewis put it, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. As you look at this, and we hear people today saying, "Hey, Jesus is a good teacher," and and I was kind of responding to a. a uh, a survey that came out on American evangelicals. And do you know that today, 43% of people who call themselves evangelical Christians do not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. And I just present them this <laughs> and much more. I mean, the passage you said in Philippians, there's passages in Ephesians as well, and many others that speak to the divinity of Christ. But this right here, the same language that we're seeing for the one who sits on the throne is then transferred to the lamb who is worthy to take the scroll. And then who the, the lamb who is worthy to receive power, wealth, wisdom, and might. Just like worthy are you, Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created. At the same time, we have that uh, parallel. Um, and the honor and the glory and the blessing that is given to the one on the throne is given to the lamb who was slain. Who was slain who was slain that's right creator redeemer that's right so we're not worshiping jesus because he's jesus he's divine but we are overcome with the fact that this divine lion of judah lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world he reduced himself, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard Godness a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man. And then being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And that's the prologue to, and because of his exaltation, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. So so the, the, the New Testament people understood that when we need encouragement, we go back to the very 
beginning. And that's that's why I, I regret that we have we've confounded revelation with pre-trib and post-trib and millennial this and rapture that. It, it is God on the throne and the Lamb who was slain. And the, the behold, the first thing John the Baptist said about Jesus, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we can't let go of that. All right. Can I pick up on one more thing that you yep. talked about just for a second? Just yep. something that, that cued me to something I read was this, that we talked a little bit about God's plan, the overall the redemption plan, but this uh, this idea of the deed uh, and that one one commentator talked to it in this way, that these scrolls represent the plan of God, as you talked about that plan that the deed has to be opened oh. and the the understanding of everything that's going to come out of that, the, the verses that you're going to, the chapters that you're going to read after that, all of these things, in order for that plan to happen, it had to be paid for by the blood of the lamb. And that's why he is the only one that is worthy. But it's also he is worthy to open up the redemption plan for fallen humanity with all of this completion that we see and everything that is whole, complete and all of that. It stands in contrast to how we are absolutely incomplete and unwhole and not worthy to be in that place. And yet the lamb comes to open this scroll that allows for our inheritance. It's the deed to our inheritance that then will be open. And all these things have to take place in order for us then to inherit that that we do not deserve. And we get a lot more of that beginning next week mm -hmm. because each of the seals right. that he was worthy to break represents something beginning in chapter six. Yeah. So be sure you come back next week too. So. All right. Good night, everybody.